Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. Our verses have eight to 16 chords in them. Every verse is 16 chords, but they change the pattern. Like my band hates me, but that's the, that's the trick is no one notices. All they notice is that they want to hear the song more than they want to hear a three chord song. Like you can keep listening to it after 20 years and it's still interesting. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory. But we drew the map. Fat Mike, good to see you. Welcome to Curious Creatures. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. And where are you, Mike? I'm in Las Vegas. You've got something going on down there. Yeah, I moved to Las Vegas to open the Punk Rock Museum. When did that happen? Well, I moved here about eight months ago, but I bought a building about two years ago and started uh, hiring people, getting a staff together. How'd you find the building? <laughs> I actually was driving around looking at buildings and this was an antique store. Right. And you'd seen it before and thought that's going to be the place. It, it just, no, it just, it was kind of set up for it because it was all kinds of little rooms and it was next to the strip club called Little Darling and next to the freeway. And I'm like, this is where the punk rock museum should be. I, I, I like that. I, I was recently in Vegas, and this time, I don't know what it was, but I ended up down at the, the Neon Museum, which is a great place, like a neon graveyard. Right, right. Where all, they they re- rescue all the old neon signs. 
and at night they do kind of 3D projections. So the whole thing comes to life. Yeah, we actually had a woman working for us who worked there previously. She was our only professional museum person. Well, not, there you go. And she quit after about three months. She's like, I can't work with you people. <laughs> you just keep doing stuff that you can't do. Like, what is wrong with you? We're, we're going to do anything we fucking want. Right. Yep. <laughs> what were you doing before the museum? What we, what we, what was life like before, before and after? Well, you know, I, I play in NoFX. I have a musical that's coming out as a TV show. Right. I don't know. I have, I have a, a company called Fatal Designs it, that makes panties for men and dresses. Right. Do you do paper ones like Alice Cooper had on schools? Uh, no, they're actually really hot. Ooh. Yeah, I'll show you what I'm wearing now. You got them on right now. This is this is a moment that you're all missing. For those of you watching or listening in color. Oh, my goodness. They're cute. Yeah. They're cute. They're supposed to be attractive. I did, let me describe. They're, they're like a blue tartan for the, the probably the Death Watch Beetle um, in Scotland. Billy Connolly would love them. Yeah, they're, they're, that's plaid for our American listeners. Oh, sorry, way. sorry. Yeah, that's all right. But you've been to you've been to Vegas many times before, and probably you and, know. yeah, punk, punk rock bowling. And I I, uh, I had a house here a long time ago, uh, Vegas Punk House, which actually had one room, which was a very small punk museum. Right. And we called it the Paltry Punk Rock Museum. Yeah. So what did you do? Lock people in it at parties and things. And you know, I was going to open up a punk store here. Talk to my friend Lisa Brownlee, and she said we should get those, some old punk artifacts. And that was when it was going to be a twelve hundred square foot like store, and now it's twelve thousand square feet. Wow! And you people are sending you stuff from all over the world. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because it really did take us a long time to get uh, stuff because bands they don't really want to send you stuff, right? And uh, and some bands wanted a lot of money. Oh, you mean we've got something you really want, but you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we, 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 it took a lot to just get open. You know, it's not cheap. And uh, we met collectors, and there's collectors, punk collectors that have everything, and they gave us everything on loan. Yeah. So, and that's where we got all our really great stuff. Yeah, got a letter this morning from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I loaned them some items, you know, which they've had in the museum out there for a while. And I got a letter today that I'd loaned it to them. We were in there in 2019. So I'm thinking that my loan was actually three years, but it's like it's been a good four years. And they finally turned up and said, uh, do you want your stuff back or do you want to loan it to us permanently? Or, you know, what would you like to do with it? And they're very nice. And I said, well, you know, I may want to take it on the road with me and Budgie because we're thinking of going on the road and stuff. So I may want to do like a little exhibition, you know, with with our, our stuff. But um, I thought you were going to wear it, lol. You're not going to wear it. The, the sequin drape jacket and the brothel creepers. Yeah, bring them, bring them, bring them with you because you know what? That people love to see them, and uh, they they do us no good sitting in our garage, you know, getting done. That is true. Yeah. That could be the first half of the show, couldn't it? You know, like the fashion parade, yesteryear. Well, yeah, yeah. But people just want to touch things that you wore, like you know, in in house and stuff. You know, I've got me old, probably me old chaps from the Leatherman on the King's Road. You know, that definitely, they'd go well with your uh, underpants, Mike. They would because they're perfectly designed to show off the areas that you know. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh dear me, you know, drives me crazy is people who say assless chaps 
Yeah. You know, because they, if they weren't assless, they'd just be pants. Pants, right. <laughs> where, where, the, where do you put the crop? You know, it's just... yeah, it's like the, the sleeveless tank top. Yeah, last time I was in Vegas was about I don't know, about two years ago. Because I live in, I live in LA. I've lived here about thirty years. I can tell by your LA accent. Well, that's it. That's what I, I always tell the, the the joke. So people ask me, you know, when they first say, they go, "Oh, so where are you from?" And I tell them, "Hey, you know, I'm from the South." And they go, "The South, really?" And I go, "Yeah, South of London." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> old Stan Laurel joke, you know. It was Stan from England? Stan was from England. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. I don't know. I mean, I lived here all this time, but I, yeah, the accent's not going anywhere. It's, it's the same. But I, I can do, I can do LA if you like, little little dude, and circle back. You know, that's <laughs> all Australian, isn't it? There, it's um, not just the words, though, lol. It's something to do with the way you say them. Yeah, it's the way you say them. Yeah, my son, my son's a Californian dude, but you know, where are you from, Mike? Originally, Boston, but I, I grew up in LA. Okay. I went to college in uh, San Francisco and stayed there for thirty-five years. Uh, uh, what's it called? San Francisco. You, what's it called? FC. Uh, I was saying, uh, SF State. Yeah, yeah. SF State. SF State. Yeah, that's where my son went too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's a good school. It's a slacker school. Yeah. But <laughs> I got my degree. I, I'm a bachelor. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> he he went there after he was at UCLA here for a, a little while, and then he went up there, and uh, he's been up there ten years, and so now you know he's like yeah, Bay Area guy. I love San Francisco. I loved it the first time we came over because it was like places like the college at you know, in San Francisco, UCLA, where you know where we'd hang out because that's where the radio stations were. It's where independent thinking lives or used to live. Yeah, and. Uh, the gay community and just the weirdo community, the art community. That's why Francisco is so great in the eighties. Yeah, absolutely. It was weird. It was weird going in because you drive in and, and they'd just be like, you think these kids and like they're organizing everything and they're setting your gig up and they've got a radio station and you feel totally like, ah, yeah. no, it was cool. It was very cool. First place we ever played in San Francisco was the I beam. Right, and so we played the I beam. Oh, I had the I beam. <laughs> I saw sweet there. Sweet. <laughs> wow, wow. So we played the I beam, and we stayed at the Red Victorian. Oh, nice. Right on, on Hyatt, Hyatt Street, and um, that that was pretty wild. In fact, we liked it so much that the next year when we came back, the rest of the band all went and stayed, you know, some normal hotel, and me and Robert went and stayed back at the Red Victorian again because we liked it so much because it was like well, it, it's charming there, but you know. San Francisco and L.A., uh, I, I think, started the DIY punk movement. Yeah. They really did. Uh, the, the original punk labels, there were six of them in L.A. Right. Because all the bands in England and New York were on major labels. Right. Or, or small major labels. But L.A., you know, had What Records and Bomp and Frontier and Posh Boy. And it was all uh, just people who started labels. And... Uh, and two of them uh, by women, which is interesting too. Yeah. I was watching some stuff. Um, early gig of the Mel of Melvins, the Melvins. Uh, yeah, like you know, playing one of those college lunchtime setup in the you know in the campus. It's just mad because you always went like, okay, back to class now, everybody. First time we came to LA, the first person we met in LA was Lydia Lunch, 
She'd come over from New York together with her friend, Mark Marcy. Well, you know what's so fun about the museum is that I'm meeting all these legends. Yeah. And it's so fun. You know, Pleasant Gaiman. We're like, we're like besties now. And she... Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I read her book it, on Sunday. I read the whole book in one day. I've never done that before. Is it good? It's very good. And it, her stories about, you know, having kinky sex... Be, uh, with at Joan Jett's apartment across from the whiskey with Billy Idol and uh, and you know Pat Smear and it's endless how cool that punk scene was. Who are we talking about? And uh, Pleasant Gaiman. You, you know her if you saw her. You know LA punk. It really started from Bowie. Yeah. You know everyone is such Bowie fans, and just a bunch of kids that liked Bowie kind of got together and started some terrible bands like the Germs and. <laughs> so I love the germs, <laughs> but Linda Carlisle was in the germs, and and Pat Smear. The germs, two members that that got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, which is I know it's so weird. It is. It's amazing. Well, you know, it happens. You know, every it, you know now now it's getting a bit more reasonable out there. We're old. We're not old yet, but no, we're getting we're getting there. We're getting there. We're not old. We're in our third third. You know. Third act, right? Third act. That's what it is. It's a third act. And most kids only have two acts. So what does that say? <laughs> so when we were young, people our age were like on their last legs. That was it. They were good. You know, like, oh my God, those old guys. But we're not dead yet. Oh, no, I'm, I'm having the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. What's the, your average age? I mean, it must be all age groups, but are you finding like a lot of young young kids coming in? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, when there's some kind of music festival, but I would say it's mostly people thirties uh, to sixties. Right. Okay. And and what's so great is that I spend a lot of time there, and I talk to people at the bar, and it, it touches them so much. Yeah. When they when they hit the decade that meant a lot to them. Mm. They, just, they start tearing up and they can't believe it. Uh, seeing the history of their childhood. Right. And, and they walk through two or three times and everyone says, I can't wait to come back. Yeah. And that's the best, yeah, yeah. you know, because you can't uh, get all of it. You know, it's too much. There's too much history there. Yeah. You've kept away from like, I don't know because they're a big like curated like the V&A in London where they'll have the Vivian Westwood collection and all its associations with early punk and the Pistols and Boy no, this George. is not an early punk museum. No, no, there's plenty of early punk. Yeah, and 80s punk and 90s punk and 2000 2000s. It's we're very welcoming to any uh, you know Pat Smear from uh, you know the Germs and Nirvana and Foo Fighters. He was one of the first investors. And he's like, it's, this has to be nothing like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I go, like, no. Like, what do you have to do to get inducted? I'm like, there's no induction. <laughs> if, you, if you maybe recorded a punk song and it got released, he's like, how about your band is on a flyer? I go, yes, that's that's good. You don't have to be inducted. You just have to. We, I want a band that was around for two years from you know uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm. to come to the museum and see their fucking band on the wall. You know how much that would mean, to, how much it means to those, to everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in the museum, my band, NOTA. 
Samson, none of the above. Uh, we have flyers on the wall. Like, we're part of it because we all are part of it. Yeah. I came across a book called Oh So Pretty, and it was just a basically somebody had compiled and found all of the flyers from, like, the Vortex, Barbara's Birmingham. And I found on page 120, whatever it was, somewhere between, like, you know, early, early Human League and Clash, my first, you know, Spitfire Boys, my first band. You know, on the on this, how, how stoked were you? you? Yeah, because it's it's there, and I, you you're instantly back there. You know, and I remember like the band on before because it was like the guy from I think the adverts, I think, or, or and then it was TV Smith, and then the other guy went on to be um, ah God, uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners, but his first band, Kevin Rowland. Yep, yep, yep. So were you at those Birmingham shows? Yeah, well, it was Liverpool, and then Birmingham Barbarellas. We had Ericsson Liverpool. And then if you went to London, it'd be the Vortex uh, or, or the Marquee. I like to think that the Ramones really got the punk sound and then brought it to England. And then England came to the U.S. and brought punk rock. Right. You know, like p- punk rock really kind of started in, in England. But the Ramones started, and, and Rich, Richard Hell, they started the, the sound more. Yep. My first band, the guitarist, I thought he was amazing because he'd written all these songs, you know, like Sheena is a punk rocker and Pinhead, and I'm thinking it's amazing. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I didn't know the, the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just making up these beats and like they, yeah. And then when the Ramones came over, it was unbelievable. Eric's was a pretty small club. It changed England, right? Yeah, and they were so loud, uh, and it was just a buzz, like a huge buzz from like one wall to the other, and we, we, we could pretty much pinned. And everyone, everyone in the crowd started a band. Everybody started a band. <laughs> if you didn't have one already, you did by the end of the night. You know, yeah. but we were lucky. We were lucky that we got a good first wave of stuff from New York, um, the Ramones, and. Um, Blondie came over and Devo and uh, uh, you know all in different. Now I'm sort of crossing over all the time zones. You know we came. I mean there was that night when I think Talking Heads and Blondie and then shortly followed by the Ramones and the Runaways came over. That was amazing. Yeah, Joan Jett. She's she's the best. One of the coolest people I've ever met. Yep, yep, yep. And the Runaways and the Ramones both started in '74. Wow. And uh, clearly uh, the Ramones are better, but uh, but. <laughs> But can you imagine being in an all-girl band where there's no all-girl bands? They're teenagers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're they're rocking and, and making records and going on tour without any without any chaperones. Yeah. <laughs> and they were all over the tabloids in Britain and the street that the small club was in, it was packed. There were police units everywhere, there was TV, you, you name it. And nobody really knew who they were, you know. It was just Well, you know, I was probably about fourteen, fifteen, and that made me decide like them and Su- Susie Quattro, I have to say, was like, I've got to go to America. I've got to meet these <laughs> <laughs> What got you to into bands then, Mike? Uh, I, I wasn't, my parents didn't listen to music. Did they listen to music that you didn't recognize as music? No, they did not listen to music. Not at all, right. No, they had, they had two records, a Barbara Streisand and a Herb Albert. And when people would come over, rarely, yeah, they would put on one of those records. They didn't listen to the radio or anything. So we had cable in LA. 
called the Z Channel, right? Which is there's a whole documentary about it because they show anything. They showed Salo, they showed cruising, they they showed Rocky Horror, you know, uh, oh, at past ten o'clock. Yeah, and I saw Rocky Horror, and the next time it came on, I put my tape recorder next to the speaker on the TV. Yeah, and I recorded Rocky Horror, and I must have listened to it a hundred times. That's really my first introduction to music, and and I got into punk rock accidentally. I was going to see a movie with my friend. He goes, "This band Killing Joke is playing at the Whiskey." We were fourteen, and we went to see Killing Joke. <laughs> and then next, the week after that, I saw X and the Subhumans. Once you see that, you can't. Where else are you gonna go? Yeah. So Killing Joke was, was the first. I don't know if they considered punk, but I was fourteen. I was scared shitless. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I saw Killing Joke when I was probably about eighteen or nineteen, and I was scared completely as well. <laughs> <laughs> like thinking, "Oh my god, what are they doing?" You know. <laughs> I saw him in Brixton. I saw Suicide. Then they were supporting Clash. Yeah, and that that was a pretty momentous occasion. You know, we have Joe Summer's last bag of weed. Really? Hey, what? You, ha- you have it? It's last bag of weed in the museum. From the Mescalero days. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Spider Stacy gave it to us. Wow. Oh, God. Well, yeah, he would have done with me. Yeah. And it's shit like that we have. We have the random stuff. Uh, you know, Pat Smear, his first royalty check from, from the Germans for $8.34. Lovely. And he's not, not cashed in. Uh, no, it's a cash check. Yeah, he cashed in. Okay. It's, it's, he used to have canceled checks. Hey, did uh, Johnny Green from The Clash, anybody, any of the crew from uh, The Clash? No, we, ha- we have this shirt that the guy wore in the, what was it, The Roadie? Was that movie? Oh, uh, uh, Rude Boy. Yeah, Rude Boy. We have the, we have the shirt he was wearing. Yeah. I was, at that, I was on tour with the Slits. We were opening for The Clash, and they were filming Rude Boy at every venue. That was the, t- the Sort It Out tour, I think it was, around Britain. And so, like, every... Every every gig, if because they were kind of pretty big gigs at that time, you know, they were doing the town halls, larger theaters, and they would break all the gear down, and then this like you know somebody'd appear with a camera, and this guy would appear like <laughs> one character in it, and everybody else was just milling around after the gig. But I, I don't mean I don't know if anybody thought it would come out as a movie. I don't know. Anyway, that's the fun of stuff is the is the old English stuff, the old footage of X ray specs and. Yeah. You see, her daughter just made a movie about polystyrene. It was great. Sorry, about two weeks ago. It's great. I designed the first room in the, the museum. I'm like, I fucking started this place. I'm taking this first room. And it's blau black walls, and there's 10 big fo- black and white photos. And polystyrene is one of the, the people I put in there. Right. It's not just people from that era, but... When you walk in, you see Alice Bag from the Bags from LA, and you see uh, Darby Crash, and you see yeah. uh, Polystyrene. Yeah, those are the first people you see. Danny from Wasted Youth, uh, he, he he got hit with a bottle, and there's blood all coming down his face at a show, and he's holding a wine, a, a glass of wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> he's on stage like hey yeah. <laughs> you know it, it's funny I was thinking about polystyrene when I saw the documentary a couple of weeks ago about her because you know like I was like 15, 16 when they came out and I was, I'd forgotten just how good germ-free adolescence was, like that whole album is brilliant. 
fucking every song is great. Yeah. No effects. We covered uh, Germ Free Adolescence, that song. We covered that at the Astoria in London. Right. But but here's a really fun fact about X-Ray Specs. You play the I'm a Poser 7-inch, which is a 45. You play it on 33. Sounds like Joy Division. Nope. Better. It's exactly, it's exact Black Sabbath. Ooh. I am a poser and I don't care. <laughs> I like making people care. But her voice slowed down. It's fucking Ozzy. It's Ozzy. It's Iron Man. That really explains a lot to me about new metal and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it explains a lot to me why it happened, you know? Like, you know, something to do with Mandy's and, you know, I don't know. No, I, I grew up on, on, on British punk. That's That was my first love. He had the biggest drum kit. One of, one of the biggest drum kits I'd ever seen. Don't know why. Just big shells. The guy in X-ray, in X, in X-ray specs. It's just all about drums. You could just enjoy the songs. How about, how about something about the sax? <laughs> Audrey is drums. He's like, he is. Well, I, I was watching him a bit, you know, but um, it was just like always, like the guy from XTC as well. He had like huge drums. Our drummer has the most medium-sized drum set ever. Well, that's all you need. Yeah, like most drummers do, because big drums sound weird unless you're in a marching band. <laughs> <laughs> well, around that time, they were always like drums with only one head, because everybody thought they were louder, you know. Which might have been true. One had a lot of money. Why would you buy two drum heads? I only hit one. Well, I was about to say, the drums you had were the drums you'd borrowed or found. And that's why the old record sounds so different. Because the real reason is because of the drums. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I like to think that some of the early punk bands, uh, the drums really made them stand apart from other bands. Like... Uh, Fear had an amazing drummer, and and Dead Kennedys had a, had this jazz drummer just out of out of his mind. Oh yeah! And what people don't know also is Adam and the Ants. They don't think about this about how amazing they were. No band has ever done that again. And there's only two songs on Kings of Wild Frontier that have cymbals. Yeah, yeah. You don't use cymbals, and you don't even think about it. It's just all those songs are fucking amazing. Yeah. You you mentioned Sweet and not far off from them were Glitter Band with two drummers. Yeah. And probably a cymbal crash on the chorus. That would be it. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So it's, and it's all that. And uh, they just speed it up. And you got Kings of the Wild Frontier. <laughs> Little known fact, but I've, I put it in my new book. Um, Adam asked me one night, down at the Hammersmith uh, Palais. He asked me to be in the Minneapolis. And I said, oh, sorry, Adam, I'm sorry. I have this band called The Cure, and I'm staying with them. All right, mate? And he went, yeah, okay. Look. Were you wearing the white socks of the same? I was know. wearing those white socks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was called originally called Lol Wears White Socks. <laughs> That's it. And then I told him, Adam, you can't do that. You can't call it after my socks. <laughs> I had to take my, my Adam poster off my wall when – I started hanging out with, you know, punks when I was like 15. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's not punk. Yeah. Because it's like, what? This isn't punk rock. No. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there such, is there such a defining line, you think, Mike, with punk? Because well, yeah, but it, not originally. Not originally. No, that's what I was going to say. Originally, punks were very welcome. 81 or 82. I used to see uh, Oingo Boingo 
at, at the Roxy and missing persons and the Plimsolls and then, you know, bad religion yeah. and fear. And there was, no, for me, there was no difference. Right. And killing joke. It's like, wow, this is a cool band that's playing loud and, and they're great songs. And then I was like, Oh, my friends don't want to go to see missing persons anymore. <laughs> and we have to go see black flag and descended. What was nice about those other bands is you didn't get beat up. Okay. You know, you, you could be safe and uh, safe-ish. <laughs> See, I was about to go there, like Missing Persons. I only know them because they had like, I think Terry Bozio started his life in. Right, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know who he was, and he had the biggest drum kit in the world. <laughs> but, um, and then I, I, I saw stuff, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of bands that kind of latched on to, certainly in England anyway, they latched on to the look and the sound and older bands as well. And then new bands came along and thought, that's what we'll be. Yeah. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023.